thanks guys, it's nice to be back with you. Um, can I make an opening statement please? Uh, I want to retract something I said eight weeks ago, um, which hopefully didn't go into your ear, but just in case it did, I said we were talk um, talking about uh, these people in Acts receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, receiving the baptism of the Spirit. And I said something that is wrong and I don't believe. I got the wrong word. I said they hadn't earned it. They hadn't earned the gift of the Spirit. And you and I know that none of us can ever earn the gift of the Spirit anything from God we can't earn forgiveness none of those things can we earn so that we deserve it and he owes us I got the wrong word I should have said qualified we must qualify to receive these things from the Father something we qualify for just by being alive he lets the sun shine on the good and the evil and the rain fall we know this um, uh, he feeds us and clothes us there are other things for which we must qualify morally for instance if we're allowed to take Jesus seriously um, he said if you don't forgive your brother God won't forgive you ok so there's, there's one qualification for forgiveness here's another one Repentance. We've got to turn away from us, and we can't keep doing it and say, Oh Lord, please forgive me. Well, I... Repentance is another qualification. Faith toward Jesus is a third qualification for forgiveness. So, I got the wrong word. And uh... Does that annoy you? That we have to qualify? No, no, that we have to qualify. You, you can cope with that, can't you? Um... This does this to me. Um... Ah, thanks, Brad. So I just wanted to clear that up. I listened to my thoughts after the meeting and thought, oh no, that's not true. So there we are, cleared up. Did anyone notice that? No. Oh. So, that's all right, I can say anything, really. nobody's listening. Marvellous, well. Oh. <laughs> all right, today. Um, can we look in our story in Acts chapter 6 and actually chapter 7 um, if we're good um, we left the we left Peter and who was with him we left them having been beaten and strictly uh, told not to speak in the name of Jesus at the end of chapter 5. And they departed for the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not, huh, well that didn't do much good, to teach and preach Jesus the King. Alright, that's where we got up to. In chapter 6, we have um, a brief statement of progress to date. And in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplied, actually this isn't the statement of progress, that comes in a few verses. 
in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, or the Hellenists against the Hebrews. Here's what they have said. Here's what they were complaining about. Because their widows, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. And earlier in the piece, um, the Ananias and Sapphira time and Barnabas selling his field and laying the proceeds at the apostles' feet, we, we learned that the community, the, the young church community, was sort of sharing their, their goods. And the wealthier ones would put money into the pot so that the poorer ones had something to eat. And up comes this situation that the... No. I'm, we need to learn from people who've thought about these things. Apparently there, there, there were two groups of Jews in those days. The Hebrew Jews who spoke Aramaic and the Hellenists whose language was Greek and they had connections with all the Mediterranean colonies um, to the west. And at that time there was some tension and friction between the Hebrews and the Hellenists. And the Hebrew women, no, no, the Hellenist women, the widows, the ones who were naturally poorer, widows, um, there was no social security, they had no man, it was a rough gig being widowed in those days. Um, <clears throat> they said, look, we're not being looked after. And you may think, I don't know, that was it perhaps that the people in charge of the ministration were look, yes, you look hungry, or you have these needs, and could they have been all Hebrews? Could they have been they certainly were um, being partial in their care of the poor in their midst. All right, you may find that interesting because uh, we think, well, hang on a minute. Jesus said that when the Holy Ghost came, that out of their bellies would flow rivers of living water, and we would get the idea that there would be no problems, everything would be fine. And yet here we are, in the first flush of life and power of the Holy Ghost, we've got a practical problem. Um, there we go. Uh, it seems that we humans need to learn to walk in the light. We need to learn to identify what is consistent with the spirit of Jesus and what is contrary to his spirit. And it might take a bit of time if we're thick or slow or stubborn or hard. Um, anyway, let's get this addressed. They nipped it in the bud. Right, we're going to have a point and let's read. You remember the story, don't you? Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, it's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. We've got to keep doing what we should do. Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. So they've got to have some um, aptitude for administration, apparently. Full of the Holy Ghost. Oh, thank you. And wisdom. Ah, I wonder where that came from. I'll put it there. Um, whom we may appoint over this business. But we, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. The saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. 
And when they prayed, they laid their hands on them. So they identified with their job. They laid their hands on them. So the, we twelve apostles are identifying with these appointments. And they got on with it. Verse 7. And the word of God increased. And the number of disciples was multiplying in Jerusalem greatly. And, great, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Point. Um, it says of Stephen, he was full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I just wanted to make one observation. Uh, in, what way is it, in what way could you be part of this congregation and part of the group of people who have received God, the impartation of God, Surely that means you're full of the Holy Spirit. Yes, but Stephen is singled out as being full of the Holy Spirit. Weren't they all? You can understand the question. Or they weren't Christians. That's, that's the mechanism by which a man and a woman becomes a Christian. is to receive the baptism in the Spirit. And I'd like to make the observation, I'd like to make this suggestion to you. And see what you think. That yes... In order for them to become a Christian, they need, needed to receive the impartation of God, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, on another level, they would, a person has to learn, has to practice listening to the Holy Ghost and obeying Him. Obeying the voice of Jesus by the Spirit, so that, as Paul said, bring every thought into captivity under the Lordship of Christ. So that their thoughts and their deeds, and I would suggest to you that, there, yes, there is being full of the Holy Ghost, no, there is receiving the Holy Ghost to change us and make us what we never were, and there is a, f a full walking in the Holy Ghost. So there's no aspect of our conscious life that isn't under the authority of Jesus by the Spirit. To be filled, sorry, to have, a, have received the life, one thing. To have let the life dominate and subjugate every other impulse in our soul and practice another thing. So perhaps the people who've been looking after the widows actually hadn't yet realized that they were operating in prejudice. The Holy Ghost wouldn't do that. The Holy Ghost doesn't say, well, you're one of my people, so I'm going to give you a bit more. You're not really one. You're a Hellenist. We don't like Hellenists. So, now, do you understand? That's not being full of the Holy Ghost. It's not letting every judgment and every thought be brought into captivity to Jesus. Um... I mention this to you so that I can remind you of our thesis from the Gospels. That to become a Christian is to receive the baptism in the Holy Ghost. What is it to receive the baptism in the Holy Ghost? It's, it's at that point when we give up any notion of our right to our lives and we repent, not just of what we've done, but we realize because of the grace of God, because of the Holy Ghost working in us, we realize it's called conviction of sin. We realize it, it's what we are we need to repent of. 
and I don't want my life anymore. Actually, God, I agree with you. It's got to die. I'm going to let it go. I want, it, I want to be dead. Make me the, bring the old me to an end. We might not understand that. But in our response to the moving of God in our hearts, that's exactly what's going on. Um, and, our, and the possession of our lives slipped from our hands. And we die. Actually die. And are raised and raised up again by the operation of God. Colossians chapter 2. The operation of God. By God doing something. Look, I think it's one of the great... Let's not say that. It's a big problem that there is an idea in the Christian world that Christianity is all about what we do um, to comply with God's demands. Not so much. Fundamentally, it's all about what he does to make us new. And the... There we are. So I thought it would be fun, it would be helpful for us to consider, well, what do we understand by a phrase like that? And I offer that to you as food for thought. So, verse 7. The word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Wow. This, this man who had upset the authorities. Ah, had upset the authorities. The ruling authorities, the rich, uh, high priestly families. And being condemned and rejected of them. The stone that the builders rejected. Hmm. Had been rejected. Suddenly, even though he was killed, everyone, everyone, greatly, and a great number, a great company of the priests believed. I just want to observe that clearly there was a, a distinction between the high priests, corrupt, let's do anything to protect our position, um, let's get rid of this Jesus, oh, forget the fact that he's come from God, we don't want God, we want our way. Amazing, they were the heads of the churches there. The head, sorry, the head of the religious Judaism. No, we don't have God, we want our way, we want... Amazing. But a lot of the priests were dinky, were ridgy-do, they were dinky-die. They were like Zechariah, he went in to pray and they meant it. They were there for God and when they, and they, a great company of them turned to the Lord. Interestingly... The, the, the Christians were still meeting in the temple. And there was a whole culture in Judaism at this time about the temple, about the holy land. This is the land that God gave us. And they had to shake the dust off their feet when they came from the Gentile land so they didn't bring the contaminant into the holy land. The, the land that God gave them. And the temple, well, that's just nothing. That's where God lived. There was nothing like this on the earth. That's where he's chosen to say, that's where he's chosen to say his name. That's the only place. So there's this whole culture which went hand in hand with the Pharisaic particularism. We are the only people. This is the only place. And that's what the next part of the story is about. And, and when the priests got involved, yes... It kind of would, have, would you think that would have had the effect of cementing the relationship between the Christians and the old Judaism? Yeah! Look, we're just going to do the same things, and here are the priests as well. We're all part of the new thing, and now we... Um, Stephen's view, as we come to see, was radically different. So they were still learning to think. They were still 
waking up to things that you and I have been brought up with. The thinking has been done for us, but for these guys, it was embryonic. Um, Let's read on. Okay, here we go. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines. Now apparently, that is a real thing. The Libertines in Roman law were freed slaves. And there was a a synagogue there, and the people that went there were freed slaves. And the sons of freed slaves. Um, Probably from Roman households. And... A Hellenizing the, of the Greek sort, um, not the Hebrews. So they would have had a slightly different view about things. The Jewish Hebrew, sorry, the Hebrew, the, the Jerusalem Hebrew Jews would have been very much in the uh, in the mindset. The temple is marvellous. And the disciples said to Jesus, as they went up, Master, do you see the building? Do you see the stones? Do you remember that earlier in the Gospel in, in Luke? And Jesus said, I'm telling you, not one of these stones will be left standing. Do you remember that interchange? So there were some clues there. It's not about the place. Um, what God wants isn't the... I mean, it was a marvel. It was an extraordinary structure. It was one of the wonders of the world. This uh, temple that this more or less pagan Herod had built. Uh, and they... And all the... Oh, and the other thing is that the, the whole economy of Jerusalem, apparently, so I'm told by people who really think about it and know, a chap called F.F. F. Bruce. Do you, have you heard of F.F. F. Bruce? No. Previous generation. Okay. I met him. He stayed in my house when I was a boy. This time. Um, he. Where were we? Ah! Hmm. <laughs> what were we saying? <laughs> yes! Thank you! The economy. And the whole, the whole, the, the whole economy of Jerusalem pivoted on the temple and the people coming in, the visitors and the sacrifices, mate, it was a going concern. You had the, the changes of money there and the sellers of doves and the sellers of um, sacrifices. Jesus turfed them all out at one stage. So there's a lot at stake here. Think, great is Diana of the Ephesians for three hours in Ephesus. By the way, oh, I won't tell you. Um, for three hours in Ephesus, they, they chanted, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Why? Well, they were going out of business. They were stopping buying the silver idols of Diana and Artemis, uh, of Diana, and they couldn't have that. So it wasn't just a theological problem, it was an economic and social problem. This Jesus business, he's going to put us out of business. Yes, too right. Um, your business is nothing to do with God. And be careful of religious behavior. Most of it's got nothing to do with God. Um, he, desires, he desires truth, in the inward parts. David saw it. Thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Cleanse thou me. Do you remember Psalm 51? So people, man, human beings, can get some pretty loopy ideas about 
what being pleasing to God is. So that's just a little bit of context. I hope that will be helpful. Let's read. <clears throat> so he got into, into a dispute. <clears throat> Verse 9. There arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and then of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they weren't able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. So they would have agreed with his premises, with his assumptions, because they also believed that the Old Testament scriptures were the word of God. But when he came to expound them and said, well, if these things are so, it means this and this and this, they wouldn't have a bar it. You understand? But they couldn't resist him, because it was true. So, if you can't win the argument, um, apparently, tell lies and have a riot. So, this is, <laughs> so, verse 10, they weren't able to resist the wisdom of the Spirit by which he spake. Then they suborned men, which said, We've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the Sanhedrin. That's the ruling body of the Jews in, uh, in Jerusalem there. And set up false witnesses, which is slightly interesting because there was a, a, a shred of truth in what they were saying. This man ceaseth, ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place. Think um, economic status. Think Jewish particularism. This wonderful place, this holy temple. Hmm. Against this holy place. You see, Jesus had said things that were terribly shocking. Tear down this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. But this spake he of his body. Do you remember John chapter 2? Um, a temple made without hands. Alright. Um, and against this holy place. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Now that's, that was a big one. Moses was acting for God as a prophet, as a representative. Now if Moses said it, it's because God said it. And if you, you can't change that, we'll have a couple of things there. Um, Moses said that God will raise up to you a prophet like unto me. Hmm. So there was going to be more prophecy direct from the Father. And also, a lot of what they were doing was nothing to do with Moses. It was an invention which hung off the things that Moses had commanded. But it all got coalesced into one thing. The things that we do, and our traditions, and our habits, and our um, uh, a whole religious practice, that is divine. You can't touch it. So, in a sense there, right? But in speaking against God, in speaking against God's messenger, Stephen, they were resisting God. That made them a false witness. Alright. They stirred up the people and the elders, and they brought him to the council. We've heard him say these things. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. 
So for all the fuss and nuisance, they looked at the bloke, and I I don't know how he got the record there. Um, he He looked as if he was a man standing in the presence of God. His face, the face of a messenger, the angels who behold the face of God. Remember the Lord said that about angels? About the children, their angels, the children's angels, do always behold the Father's face. Um, So there we are. They had this extraordinary uh, testimony before them. The man that they are trying to bring down, trying to accuse, looked like he was in the presence of God. And uh, the parallel, of course, with Jesus' trial is not to be uh, overlooked. So, then the high priest said, are these things so? They had to have, in Hebrew law, they had to, they had a, they had to demonstrate that they understood the charges against them and have a chance to speak. Well, the things that Stephen said, which we're going to read, the things that Stephen said were not designed to get him off the hook. Um, he, well, we'll read. But they were designed to be a faithful witness to the one true God. Which is likely to get anyone on the hook any day of the week, isn't it? Um, And he said this, Men and brethren, fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. That's my emphasis, but it might be useful. In Mesopotamia, it has nothing to do with the Holy Land, this special part of land, this place. No, God appeared over there. Hmm. There's, a, there's a chink, there's a problem. When he, before he dwelt in Haran, and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and come into the land that I shall show thee. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. Amazing, really, uh, Abraham's obedience. So he left Ur the Chaldees, um, the center of civilization, comfort, and went out, leaving all the support, all the civilization, and he went out essentially into the wilderness. Um, Why? Because God spoke to him. and Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness the Lord doesn't require very much of us just that we believe him and obey him actually God, I'm prepared to put my life on the line I'm mm, sorry, I just thought of a silly song Um, I'm betting, well not betting but I'm putting everything I've got on you You, do you know that song? no, it's a bit old um but it's completely irrelevant. But that's, that's faith. Uh, by, but the thing about faith is that by faith, we, a human being, imparts itself, himself, herself, to the object of his faith. That's why it's the greatest work. What shall we do that we may work the work of God? This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. It's the faith is the greatest work because... Abraham, for instance, in 
in getting out and leaving everything that he knew, and everything that was wealth and everything that was valuable to him, he was giving himself to the one who was speaking to him. That's faith. By faith, we impart ourselves to him. We give ourselves away. Right. I'm, I'm signing off my life and giving it all to you. And that is what the Father is after. Now, look for a parallel in marriage. When a man gives himself to the woman. So I take my whole life and I'm putting it in your hand. And a woman gives herself to the man. Man, I'm, I'm taking my whole life and putting it in your hands. There's a parallel there. I, would, I suggest there's a parallel with faith. Um, so that was just a, an aside on Abraham's action. We, we mustn't gloss over it. Think of a man doing that. Um, he didn't know where he was going. Ah, but he who spake to me, blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And there was something in Abraham, clearly, that hungered and thirst after the moral nature of the one who was speaking to him. Look, when the Lord said, blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, you and I could interpose there that hunger and thirst after God. He is the righteous one. He is the one that's holy of, he is the holy one of Israel. Alright. So, here's the story. And he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and went and dwelt in Haran. Verse 5. And he gave him none inheritance in it. No, not so much to set his foot on. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him when as yet he had no child and God spake on this wise that his seed should sojourn in a strange land that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil four hundred years and the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge said God and after that they shall come forth and serve me in this place and he gave them the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begat Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begat Jacob. And Jacob begat the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. So here is a theme that kind of occurs in Israel's history. Look, if God is in it, we're against it. Did God tell us not to make idols? Yes, 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 we'll do everything you say. And Moses goes back up the mountain and, they, and Stephen addresses it. And while he's away, we don't know. We don't want to listen to Moses anymore. Aaron, make us some idols that we can worship then. We want to go back to Egypt. Um, here we have God was with Joseph God had ordained um, that Joseph would save them what was their response? we'll sell him into slavery they rejected anything divine the people rejected it's called being carnal it's called the enmity of uh, the fallen nature of man with God sin is Enmity with God, says Paul. 
Did you find that in Romans yet? Uh, sin is enmity with God. Alright. And it's exactly that enmity that we need to be saved from. It's exactly that enmity against God, which was endemic in everyone, that we need to repent of and let the Lord cleanse us from and make us new. You know, I don't think that's relevant to say. One of the... I wasn't... I remember the evening that the Lord touched me. I was a boy at school... Blah, 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 blah. But the, one of the things I remembered for the first time, didn't remember for the first time, I remember being aware of, for the first time, I wasn't his enemy anymore. I'd grown up um, crushed <coughs> with the consciousness that I was a rebel. Crushed with the consciousness that though I wanted to please God, there was something else in me that was against him. And when the Lord touched me, one of, the, one of the dominant realizations was, for the first time in my unhappy existence, I wasn't his enemy anymore. I was on the same side. Um, mm. So, here, here they were. They, they sold Jacob into slavery. Now, verse 11, there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and, uh, and Canaan. And a great affliction, our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent our fathers first. At that second time, and the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren. Hmm. So Jesus had come, and they rejected him. But the second time he came, on the day of Pentecost, by the Holy Ghost... They started to recognize him. The great company of the priests were converted. A multitude in Jerusalem. But this is just months after they'd crucified him. Yeah. There's a little bit of parallel happening, do you think? And Stephen's going to rub their nose in it. And he's going to roast them when he gets to the end. It's, it's uh, rugged. Here we go. They made them under, under Pharaoh. And verse 14, they sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him. And all his kindred, three score and fifteen souls. So Jacob went down to Egypt and died. He and our fathers and were carried over into Sichem, uh, sorry, Shechem, and laid in the sepulchre that Abraham bought for a sum of money of the sons of Hamar, the father of Sichem. But when the time of promise drew nigh, God had sworn to Abraham the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose which knew not Joseph. The same dealt subtly with our kindred and evil entreated our fathers so that they cast out their young children to the end they might not live. So the, 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 the boys had to be taken out so that they died. You know the story of Moses in the Moses basket. In which time Moses was born, verse 20, and was exceeding fair, fair to God is the margin, and nourished up in his father's house three months, and then cast out. Pharaoh's daughter took him up. He was beautiful, this boy. Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was 
educated, instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was a full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God, by his hand, would deliver them. But they understood not. Oh, there's another one. They didn't know Joseph at first. They didn't know Moses at first. They didn't know Jesus at first. Hmm, there's something pretty perverse about the fallen human nature. If it's got God's hand on it, we're against it. That's why, that's why um, Peter said to them on the day of Pentecost that God has sent Jesus to bless you. In, and what was the blessing they needed? In turning you away from your sin. That's our problem. We are addicted to our sin. We are addicted to our rebellion. Addicted to our own right. Our imagined right to my life. And the, the first gift we need is the gift that God sent Jesus to give the Jews. And he sends him to give it to us to make us repent of our sins. Uh, Alright, so, here we are with Moses. He supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them. Verse 26, the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove, and, they, and he, he would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, ye are brethren, why do ye wrong one to another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, now listen to this, thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou, didst, as thou didst kill the Egyptian yesterday? Isn't that exactly what they said to the Lord as he came in and cleansed his father's house at the beginning of his ministry in chapter 2 of John's Gospel? By what authority do you do these things? If he's got the hand of God, if he's got God's fingerprints on it, then we've got to be against it. That's the, that's the native state of the fallen human heart. But it's alright. There's a solution. God sent Jesus to give us repentance from our sins. And so the Jews, having struck out once, were individually, as a nation, they struck out forever. But individually, they began to see and they received the gift that Jesus was giving them. I repent of how I've been. I repent of not seeing and not and being against the work of God in Jesus. And a great company, great multitudes were turning to him. Then fled Moses at this saying and was a stranger in the land of Midian where he begat two sons. And when 40 years were expired, so he's going to be 80 now, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. What? God in Mount Sinai, an angel, a messenger of the Lord's face. In Mount Sinai, in the wilderness, in the desert? That's not this holy place. That's not the promised land. But God was there. So I think you can see Stephen's making a bit of a case. What do you think? Um, Yes, but not to those guys. They thought it was all about Israel. And especially, it was only about the temple. Exactly. We know better, but people have done the thinking for us. So we shouldn't get too um, 
pleased with ourselves. But yes, exactly right. Uh, <laughs> well, we should be glad. Yeah. Moving on. Um, Moses trembled. I am the God of, the, of thy fathers, this is verse 32, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and durst not behold. Then said the Lord to him, Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. No, 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 that's in Jerusalem where the temple is. No, that's, that's part of Palestine. No, no, no. The place, wherever God is, is holy. Wherever we meet him, it's holy. I have a poem for you. No, I have a verse of a poem. William Cooper, do you remember the Wesleys? He was around in Wesley's day. Um, here's a verse that he wrote. John and Charles Wesley, yes. And this is William Cooper, C-O-W-P-E-R. Um, he wrote, Jesus, where'er thy people meet, there they behold thy mercy seat. Ah, oh, not just in this, I mean the Anglicans do, don't they? they? They sanctify, no, what do they call it? They do something to the ground, they, what do they call it? Perhaps they sanctify the, the ground where they build the church. So that's a, uh, a sanctified place. And when the church gets knocked down, it's got to be reverse sanctified. This is no longer hallowed ground. Cooper, William Cooper, was saying something quite different. Jesus, where'er thy people meet, there they behold thy mercy seat. Where'er they seek thee, thou art found. And Every place is hallowed ground. Now, that was William Cooper. Jesus said, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So we've come a long way from the Jewish particularism that said, Oh, this holy ground. Where? It was holy because God was there and He's everywhere. All right. I've seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and I've heard their groaning, and I'm come down to deliver them. And now, come, I will send thee into Egypt. Verse 35. This Moses, whom they refused, saying, Who made thee ruler and judge? The same did God send. To be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel, which appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after that he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. The signs and the prophets. The signs were the authentication of the words of the prophets. So God dealt with them in the Old Testament with these twin witnesses. The words of the prophet backed up and authenticated by the signs and wonders that were done. All right, and, he's remi- and, and, they all, and here's um, Stephen uh, on, up on, on charges and he's so far there's nothing that he has said that they can disagree with they all had the same view these are divinely uh, revealed things that they're talking about this is our divine history but just wait things warm up verse 37 this is that Moses which said Under the children of Israel, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up to you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. 
Oh. Oh. Let's go on. This is he that was in the church of the wilderness, or in the congregation in the wilderness, with the angel which, which spake to him in the Mount Sinai, and with our fathers, who received the living oracles to give to us, to whom our fathers would not obey. They said they would. And God was speaking, and they had the signs and wonders. It was not a lack of evidence. It was a lack of willingness. It was a hard wicked heart so the father has sent Jesus to bless you in giving you repentance from your sins that's our big need repentance I've said this before I hope you don't mind I remember there being a time when I came amongst a group of people who loved the Lord Jesus I could see it in their confession I could see it in their, in their behaviour it witnessed in my unregenerate spirit they loved the Lord. They were doing and being the kind of Christian that all the people I knew talked about but weren't. They. Mm. And I remember sitting among them in the meeting. I didn't understand what was being said, but I did. I, I did uh, understand the spirit of what was going on. And I said, Lord, I don't want to be like these people they're clean but I know that if you don't make me like them I'm lost will you please make me want to be clean there's a kid's uh, there was one, one kid's realisation that the problem was I wanted my life I wanted my life my way I wanted my sin I, didn't, I thought it was necessary for me to survive there's a, there's a poem hanging on our wall. We were given it when we were married. I asked for an artist girl who wanted to give us a, a present to... I asked her to do it. Um, Wherever he may guide me, no want shall turn me back. My shepherd is beside me, and nothing can I lack. Uh, you think of Psalm 23. Um, it's enough to have him. But we've got to be convinced of that. He's enough. If I don't have these other things that seem so important that I can't live without, I'm going to lack. I'm going to have. Mm. All right. So let's let's press on quickly. They make us. Oh, here's what they did. To whom our fathers would not obey, verse 39, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turned back again to Egypt. Oh, their hearts. That's why Jesus has come to in in initiate a new covenant that gets the heart sorted out. I'll give you a new heart, not according to the heart that you had before, a new spirit will I put in you. Saying unto Aaron, Make to us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, and offered sacrifice unto the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. It says, after all these miracles, guys, nothing to do with a lack of evidence. So there was a lack of will, or too much will in the wrong way. And God turned and gave them up. Oh Lord, be careful, my friends that you don't so choose, and so indelibly choose, wrong, 
that God gives you up to your choices. These people, he, God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven as it's written in the book of the prophets. O ye house of Israel, you've offered me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness. Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your God, Rephan, Remphan, figures which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. And you know about the captivities, that God punished them, and they went out, but that's... And, and Stephen is addressing all these things, and he's going to draw the threads together in a minute. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking to Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion he had seen, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Joshua into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drove out from before the face of our fathers unto the days of David. By the way, uh, that's exactly what's going on now. You've heard the, the story in Gaza. Palestine is Philistine. The, the, so the old enmity that started with Isaac and Esau has continued these last three and a half thousand years and still being played out today before our eyes. Um, nobody knows what solution there is. Somebody said, I read something today, they said, you can't destroy Hamas. This is one of the, one of the Jewish, um, the, an ex-head of the Jewish security services said you can't destroy Hamas it is an idea all they could do well if they annihilated every Palestinian um, that would destroy Hamas but we don't live in an era where that is permitted or tolerated or wanted moving on But Solomon built, and God drave them out before the face of their fathers, under the face of David, verse 46, who found favor before God, and desired to find, a, to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house, albeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet, Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me? saith the Lord or what place or what is the place of my rest hath not my hand made all these things here is Solomon on the, at the time of the dedication of the temple he said let me see if I can find it I think oh I got the wrong spot how disappointing um, Solomon as he dedicated the temple that he would made for God he said exactly the same thing. What house can my hands make for you? God isn't contained in a building. So Stephen uh, is getting close to the crux now. Verse 51. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Oh. Remember, God looks on the heart. Um, David could see that. Thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Yeah, they were circumcised in the flesh. Yes, they offered the sacrifices outwardly. But inwardly, they were far from God. So, he said to them, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, where it matters, 
the thing that matters, it ain't changed in heart and ears. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. We just chronicled it. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and haven't kept it. There we are. So he's given their history and he's demonstrated to them that what they're doing is what's gone on for hundreds of generations always resisting the Holy Ghost. If it's got God's fingerprints on it, we're against it. And now you've killed Jesus. The one he sent, the just one. The one that you said you're waiting for. And they couldn't take it. As you know. But when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. There we are. Um, And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Oh dear, all the vitriol, all the hatred that was directed at Stephen and his confession was like that of his master. I'm giving my, my spirit into your hands. Um, they couldn't touch him otherwise. You and I can go through life sure in that confidence that if our lives are in the hands of Jesus, then nothing can harm us. Oh yeah, we might get killed, but it won't harm us. Because it's his mind, his will, his life, his decision, Father, day by day, moment by moment. You can go on, and I can go on. We can live free. This is the essence of freedom. We can, and, and, and free of trouble, free of uh, full of joy in Lord I'm giving my life to you I'm into your hands I can end my, sp- your, my spirit I'm giving myself to you again today this is faith day by day moment by moment Father I'm yours do with me what you will mm, it's a very wonderful freedom to enjoy uh, whom the Son makes free shall be free indeed so, mm. and so, as the, as the Lord 
commended his spirit into the hands of the Father, so did Stephen. As Stephen, as the Lord said, Lord, um, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. We have the same confession. In the face of all that hatred and vitriol and anger, he was full of the spirit. He, was, he, ha, he had already learned to let his thoughts and actions and his motivations be governed by the Holy Ghost. He'd learned to bring every thought into captivity to Christ by the indwelling spirit. Um, and there we are, that's, that's our work here on earth to learn to be faithful to Jesus that is learn to be obedient in mind and in deed in heart, in thought, in action to honour him because as we were singing there's nothing else in the universe that matters he's the worthy one he is the great one we owe ourselves to him and when he had said this he fell asleep now Saul was consenting to his death so enter a new player in the young church who um, from that moment the evangelization of the Gentiles um, begins to be related heretofore it was within the Jewish community now the gospel was going to escape and reach people like you and me I hope that you don't mind that we've talked and had a story today. Um, it's a good story. It's one that should challenge us. It's one, one that can enlighten us as to what it is we're doing on the planet. It's always good to get up in the morning and have a good, clear idea of what am I doing on the planet um, rather than stumbling in confusion, not knowing. There's our, this is our calling, is to live for him and learn to be faithful to Jesus. So that at that day, we may hear his welcome, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Will it mean that we, we might undergo some changes in our understanding of what it is to be a good and faithful servant? Yeah, I hope so. I hope that you and I will continue to become disabused of nonsenses that we have either imbibed or contrived, or perhaps a mixture of both. Look, we're only silly. We make mistakes. The important thing, oh, by the way, the important thing is not to hang on to our mistakes and think that because I think them, they're right. No, 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 no. You've got to start with a blank sheet of paper. Actually, I don't know anything. But it seems that Jesus says this, and he knows everything. So I'm going to... You understand? Don't think you know anything, mate. Um, just a word on the use of that word, mistake. Don't mistake mistake. Um, don't confuse mistake for moral failure. So I don't know if you say in the in the in the media these days, if somebody's done something wrong, they say, "Oh, they made a mistake. And they made the wrong decision." Are you serious? That wasn't a mistake. That was deliberate sin. Just get you, you know, let's talk, let's call a spade a spade. A mistake is an inadvertent uh, wrongness, an inadvertent incorrectness. What that bloke did wasn't a mistake, it was a moral failure, it was a deliberate choice of evil. So, you know, we don't have to fall into their trap, do we? We can call a spade a spade. Do you think? Um, 
Father, we bless your name. We thank you that you're the one, you're the angel of days. You're the one, you're the holy, you're the holy one of Israel. We worship you, Father. And we come before you as children, not pretending to know anything, but certain that we need you, certain that we need to be cared for by you, certain that you provide for us, certain that we need to be taught of God. So Father, please cause us, help us to be open and teachable before you all the days. Amen. Amen. Amen.